So we sure do a lot of waiting, don't we? <laughs> We've been waiting for a long time as God's people. And, and I've been putting all these pieces of the puzzle of Harrison Church's life together and bringing us right up to this moment. And just wanted to add a couple things. Buildings are a tool of ministry. And so we, we come into this place, we are an outpost of God's kingdom as the world awaits the second coming, and yet I believe that God continues to fill his, fulfill his covenant through the likes of us, and we happen to do it from this place. Now, I wasn't here when the church went into debt for this space and the other space, but I can tell you I have been blessed by it for the last 18 months. And I watched my daughter grow in faith, and I'm growing in faith, and I have a front row seat to you all growing in faith, and I have a seat watching us serve this community. And I know that a building is not ministry, but I know to the bottom of my heart, it's a tool, a necessary tool for us as we wait and as we fulfill God's covenant, working in this world, growing in faith, loving God and neighbor, serving others. It's just a blessing that somebody made a decision years ago so that all of us get to be here, get to experience God in this place and get to join together in this process of waiting. And I'm excited about tonight when we begin to look, not, not begin, when we continue to look and anticipate and expect God to continue to do great things from this place because of the people here, because of the Spirit here and how God's Spirit wants to work through us. So I'm excited about all this stuff. What a gift to be part of such a pivotal time, to be part of what God is doing from this place here and now, even as we wait together. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your gift to us this day, your gift of life, your gift of blessing, your gift of being willing to use the likes of us to be part of your kingdom on earth, to be part of an alternative community from this spot that influences this world for good, for Christ. God, speak to us now. Let us have the ears that are attentive enough to hear that you are calling us, setting us apart to bear witness to a child who will lead us. For it's in the name of that child, Christ, that we pray. Amen. If you will, please stand for the reading of this word. I'll be reading from Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10. A shoot shall come from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall come out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. 
Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand into the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nation shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Okay. So last week, I wasn't here because I went to my husband's church to worship with him. Now, most of you know my husband is also a pastor here in Mecklenburg County, and he serves a church more into the city off Independence, and so Laura and I went to worship with him, which I haven't done since he's been at this new church. For years, 11 years, Jonathan and I served the same church up in the mountains, and then we moved to Charlotte and served for a few years here, and it was a gift for that time. Our children were small, and and it was great to be able to be in the same place for worship, and, and we had wonderful people that we got to work with together, just a real gift. But out of those 11 years, after those 11 years, we decided it was time that God had called us to be in different places. You know, we like to joke and say, out of those 11 years, nine were good. Not all consecutively, but anyway... We did have a great time, and, and I miss some of that sometimes. I, I miss hearing him sing. He's got a great voice. It's as smaltzy as I'll get. But there's also a real benefit for us not to be in the same place every Sunday, day in and day out through the week. And here's one of the benefits. I can tell you all anything about our story, and he's not here to contradict me. It's great. I love it. I love it. When we first got married, um, Jonathan and I were living in a parsonage, and this house had these overgrown boxwood, out-of-control boxwood. I mean, nobody was attending to them, and finally, Jonathan said, that's like they were, and Jonathan said, we're going to do something about these. When you get home, I'll have taken care of it all. I'm like, great, just do it. Jonathan knows what he's doing in a yard. He, he, he grew up on a Christmas tree farm. He's been pruning all his life. His father had a nursery, pruned boxwood before. I mean, he got it, right? He knew what he was doing. And then I came home and I saw this. And I'm like, what in the world, Jonathan? You've ruined our house. The parsonage committee will be very upset. What's going on? In my uninformed, uneducated, inexperienced opinion, right? But I let him have it. (laughs) He'd ruined it all. I mean, if you go to my parents' house, you still can't see out some of the windows because the boxwood are so overgrown. But anyway, I thought I knew what I was talking about. So I fussed and fussed. and, And he said, Elizabeth, can you just be patient? They'll come back. And of course... He was right. He was right. They came back, and they were beautiful and glorious. But whenever I read this text from Isaiah, I think about those boxwood. 
I think about how it is that sometimes my expectations are far too low or my trust just isn't what it should be, even though I know. And we're switching over to scripture here. Even though I know God's got it. Even though I know that God has long been faithful to his promises and that what God has started, God will not abandon. And that even from the likes of a stump, as Isaiah calls it, even from a stump shall come forth the rod of Jesse to create new life, to restore once again, does it often, to restore once again the kingdom of God. Emmanuel, as we sung this time of year, Emmanuel, God with us from that stump, from that seemingly barren place to people who wonder sometimes, where in the world is he? What's going on? Our world sometimes looks far too much like those chopped off stumps. And yet, as God's people from this time, from this place, we are called to be those who hold out the promise. We are called to be those who bear witness to trust again, knowing that what God has promised, God will fulfill. And that even through the likes of us, by the power of God's Spirit, we get to be part of that. We get to be part of what God wants to do with this world. And it's just a gift, but it's nothing new. You know, sometimes this time, of, well, oftentimes this time of year, we read these, these messianic prophecies. And messianic is just a, another way of saying the Messiah, right? These prophecies of the coming of the Messiah, these prophecies of the coming of the one who will set this world right yet again. And, and Isaiah is one of the prophets Um, that speaks to this several times. And so we hear these prophecies this time of year because we are anticipating, waiting for, as Advent reminds us, waiting for the coming of the Christ child and even waiting for the time when Christ will come again. And so we read these prophecies, again, to help prepare us, to remind us of what God intends, still intends to do. But the prophecies are not merely the backstory to Jesus. They're not the prelude to the coming of Christ. Not, they are in, in part, but they're so much more than that. Because in the Hebrew scriptures, throughout the Hebrew Bible, but in particularly in the prophecies, we see this story of how God operates in this world And if we are called to bear witness to this story, we see a pattern of behavior that we can give testimony to. Of God being faithful time and time again. To people getting it wrong time and time again. And to God offering the promise of restoration time and time again. And so these are the stories, these are the scriptures of Christ himself. These are transformative scriptures for you and I as well. Because they're part of who we are. And part of the promise that we are called to fulfill, we are those through whom God chooses to work. And our Messiah made that possible. 
But I want us to look at some of these verses in, in, in more detail today because what is going on here is, is Isaiah is telling a people that God creates a world that we never could have accomplished on our own. God creates a world. God offers an existence. God offers righteousness and justice that's far beyond any human capability. That's far beyond anything we could design on our own. And yet, it's exactly what God invites his people into for thousands of years. So we have the, the prophet Isaiah speaking into his current situation. That's, and I tell you all this all the time. The scriptures are so transcendent because people don't change all that much. And Isaiah is speaking into this existence that seems so like our own, that makes so much sense for our own. But, but he's gathered there with these people, these Hebrews. The Jews have been carried off into exile. But we're going to drop back a few centuries and I'll let you know what took them there. Because again, we then begin to realize and understand the transformative power of God for people who are longing for his presence. And that is instructional for us, I think. These people are desperate for God to become manifest yet again and, and to claim and to guide them in their lives in a way that they then can be faithful in return. So years before, years before, hundreds of years before this came to pass, the people of God had been delivered from slavery by the Lord himself, right? God had done great things. They never could have done it on their own. It was only by divine power. Delivered from slavery. They'd made it to the promised land after messing up a few times in the desert. Remember, we try, we try. They made it to the promised land and all was right and all was well, just about. They had judges that were ruling over them. And this is by God's design because the judges ruled with equity based on God's law. But after a while, they'd gotten tired of that. And the people of God decided they wanted to be like everybody else. Can you imagine? The people of God saw how the world was operating around them and they decided they wanted to be like everybody else. And if they were going to be like everybody else, they needed a king. And they began to grumble and moan and, and complain. And God, we just need a king. We want to be like our neighbor. And they have these armies. And, and why can't we, Lord? You hear it? Have you said it? I just want to be like everybody else. I want to blend in. I want to have that kind of power that is, that is so demonstrative. I just want to. We don't change. God, give us a king. You don't want a king. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Okay. God let them have what they wanted. And then he let them deal with the consequences of their choices. Sounds kind of like a parent. Right? Not anything, but anyway, you make your choice, you deal with the consequences, you live into them. And that's what's going on here. And, and God sent David, again, the, the lesser of all the sons of Jesse. This is the Jesse that is spoken of by Isaiah. David was the lesser of all the sons, the smallest kid off in the fields, not a warrior at all. And so God, again, to remind us that it is God who offers this power and not human hands, God chose David. 
He became king, and he was, he was a pretty good king. He had his issues. He had his problems, his own sins that were so very public. And yet, the nation of God, the people of God, did fairly well, and time progressed, and, and, and the kings came and went, and they were some were good and some were bad. And then over and over and over and over again, the kings did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They got too full of themselves. And they acted in their own right to assure their own power and neglected the word of God. And this is where we, get, this is where we are today. The, the king had neglected the, the word of God. The people had gotten upset. They didn't know what to do. And so they can't trust God because, you know, it was God who put that king there in the first place, right? Nevertheless, that they had asked for him. And so they turned to foreign alliances. They turned to other solutions, other options. When this one wasn't working, again, it sounds so familiar. They made foreign alliances and they were carried off into exile. And here we are. People still waiting, still wanting, still looking for the presence of God in some way, shape, or form. And Isaiah speaks into this, and he simply reminds the people of God's faithfulness, hold on, folks, he says. There will be one, the anointed one, the Messiah, whom God will send to deliver you. And it might not be on your timetable, and it might not be the Messiah you expect. In fact, it won't be the Messiah you expect. God will send this person, and this Messiah will initiate the realm of God again in a way that we never could have designed with our own human minds, hearts, and hands. This Messiah is so different, so alternative. Here's what his world's going to look like. This will be a world where the wolf shall live with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. This will be a world where the calf and the lion and the fatling lie together and a little child will lead them. This will be a world where the cow and the bear shall graze in the same pasture and their young shall lie down together. The nursing child shall play over the hole of a snake. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Don't try that at home. This is poetry. It's poetry. But the point is, this is a world not created by human hands. This is a world received by human hands. This is the kingdom of God ushered in by the little child that shall lead us. This is a world that we opt into and stay part of and then work with God for reconciliation among seemingly disparate people, entities. We work as the people of God for peace, for hope, as we've talked about this Advent so far. We work and we engage and we give thanks that God has seen fit to let us be a part of what he wants to do in this world. This alternative presence. I like this language. This is going to be a world that shall not be judged by what I see or decide by what ears hear. That's far too human. 
This will be a world where the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him and the spirit of wisdom wisdom and understanding and a spirit of counsel or, or direction giving and might shall be present. This is a world where the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord will be the, the, the way of the day. The fear or the reverence as some translations offer it. This is a world wholly other. And in the ebb and flow of humanity, God saw fit to deliver that Messiah in flesh. Stating two things. This is a world in body and in soul that matters. This is a world by the delivery of a baby about a child's life that matters. Meaning all children's lives matter. This is a world that God values here and now and that we can anticipate throughout eternity. Again, a world not deliverable by human hands or created by human minds or hearts. This is what God wants to do. And we know, we understand, we believe, we have faith, we wait, and we anticipate. We know that God punctuates this alternative world with the delivery of a baby to peasant parents who aren't even married yet. Wouldn't be the way we did it. God punctuates that this world is going to be so different because this baby is not born in glory but in a barn in a land that is occupied by a foreign government. This isn't how we would do it. This world is to be led by a child who had to flee his home, go to a foreign country just to survive the death-dealing ways of the rulers at hand. At least until he was in his 30s. Not sure that's how we would do it. This refugee king. This is a world wholly other. This is a world, again, that God creates and invites us to be a part of. So how do we do it? What does it mean now, this year, this Advent, as we wait and wait and wait? It means we resist. It means we resist for all we are worth. The trappings of this world, the dictates, the mandates of this world. It means we resist, especially perhaps just for these few weeks. We recognize that we are called to be other and therefore not caught up in the hullabaloo of getting ready for Christmas. That's not what this is about, right? And if this world is going to be anything, it begins with Christians saying no to one more bauble, to one more gift. And instead, giving, sharing, offering joy to others in any number of ways. We resist the powers that say survival of the fittest and I'm out for number one. We resist for all we're worth. That's not by God's design. And it is different. The dean of uh, Duke Divinity School sends out a Christmas card every year to to alumni along with a little envelope. And uh, anyway, this year he, he, he wrote, and I don't know if he coined this term or not, and maybe it's a little late for it, but he wrote about hollow thanksmas. 
wrote about hollow thanksmas. And he said, Advent is a resistance to hollow thanksmas. To the hurry and the bustle and the buying and the, and the planning and all of that that starts way before Halloween, hits at Thanksgiving, and then we jump right ahead to Christmas because we love it so much. Nothing wrong with loving it. But he says, Advent, recognizing Advent, participating, lighting candles, singing songs, understanding that the Christ child has not been born yet. Understanding that what that means is our form of resistance is Advent, our form of slowing down. And our form of claiming patience as a virtue. And our way of anticipating with hope what God will do next. That's one of the ways we resist. That's what resistance can look like for God's people. Resist. Depend. Claim. Embrace. Walk into this world that God with us, right? Emmanuel. God with us. In the form of a little child, has invited us to be a part of. This is who we are. This is the world we seek to be a part of and to share. For there is so much need. Amen. And let us pray. Gracious God, help us to resist anything that would divert us from you. Any alliance that would cause us to trust you less. Any activity that would disassociate us from the true meaning of this season. Anything, God, that would seek to claim our loyalty before you. Help us to resist so that we may be part of what you want to do this day through us, through this church, even throughout this world. We give you thanks for offering us hope and a life lived otherwise. Amen. And now go forth in hope and peace and trust that little child to lead us on. Amen. Amen.